Hello and welcome to another episode of Well Capitalized. I'm your host, Bobby Kingsbury, Managing Director at MCM Capital Partners. And today we have with me again, Justin Thomas from Cohen & Company, diving deep into a major topic with business owners and entrepreneurs in working capital. So Justin, thank you very much for, for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and for the viewers who haven't watched uh, one of our videos prior uh, with you, can you give a little bit uh, of background on Cohen and yourself? Sure. Uh, again, Justin Thomas, I'm the partner in charge of our transaction services practice at Cohen Company, uh, which is the group within the firm that specializes in performing due diligence for our clients uh, going through a transaction, uh, either on the buy side or the sell side. So with this topic, it's come up e even in, in diligence videos from uh, legal and bank and then uh, some owner interviews. And, uh, you know, w working capital kind of seems to be this uh, this topic that maybe a lot of business owners don't understand or don't know how it would affect them. So I, I think first, can we just uh, really define working capital and, and what it is? Sure. Um, working capital, in particular, and how we think of it in a transaction um, is very, very simply put, just the net of your current assets and your current liabilities in the business, right? So it's the, it's the near-term net calls on cash. So that's why we don't include cash in that calculation. But it's the things in the near future that are going to convert to cash, like your AR and your inventory, mm -hmm. and then the things that should be a draw on cash in the near future, like your payables and accrued expenses. And so it's just setting an understanding of kind of where the business is from a standpoint of kind of the net of those two items. Yeah, and so sometimes what we've seen in <coughs> a negotiation, so we spell it out in a letter of intent to truly define exactly what what working capital is. Do you think that's important for uh, a business owner in, in their negotiation? I do. I think I actually think it's it's important and beneficial for both sides of the transaction to understand um, the nuances of exactly what we're going to call working capital for purposes of the transaction. Um, so I just gave a general definition, yeah. but. Ultimately, when you get to the end of a transaction and you're defining working capital in a contract for purposes of how it may or may not affect your purchase price, um, identifying specific accounts and balances that are going to be part of that measurement or not is very important. So uh, I, I think it's just a best practice for everybody to spell that out in as much detail as you can. So again, everybody's singing from the same hymnal when it goes when it comes time to close. And so in Talking about that a little further, you know, in, in a contract then as it relates to working capital, uh, what about indebtedness? How do you define indebtedness? Yeah, you know, maybe we take a step back and look at the whole concept and how it affects uh, a seller's ultimate purchase price and cash they receive. Um, so obviously in a transaction, the big number is the headline purchase price. You know, again, for sake of argument, just say it's $20 million, mm -hmm. right? And that's clearly what most people are focused on and what most of the due diligence process, whether it be financial, tax, legal, whatever, is is structured around confirming. Um, but the, the key point to keep in mind is that value, so that, that offer price is almost always defined as a, what we call a cash-free, debt-free price, mm -hmm. right? So what that means to the business owner is, I'm going to give you $20 million for this business. You keep any of the cash that you've accumulated up until closing, mm -hmm. um, but you're also responsible for all the debt. Um, and that becomes important because as a seller realizes that, they may be incentivized to 
play with their working capital mm -hmm. to maximize the amount of cash they have on hand at closing, right? Um, you know, a, a seller may do something like say, hey, I'm going to give all my customers a 10% discount if they pay all their AR right now, yeah. uh, just to kind of get all that cash in the door so they can keep it. And obviously, as a buyer, you don't want that to happen because then all of a sudden, you know, you've just paid $20 million for a business and then you take it over and you, you see you've got no receivables. Right. And so you've got no cash coming in the door for the first 30 days. And you have cash outlay. Yeah. <laughs> and so you need to fund another million dollars on top of the $20 million you just, you just spent. So because of that dynamic of the deal being cash-free, debt-free, uh, over time, again, it's become just accepted in the market that will also have a target working capital. Mm -hmm. um, so that ultimately is in place to make sure that nothing irregular happens with, with the working capital balances uh, between the time of an initial negotiation on price and the closing. Mm -hmm. So the way that is, that's done is to come to an agreement between buyer and seller. And again, all of this is an agreement that evolves over the course of the transaction and is codified in the purchase agreement. So come to an agreement over what the right level of working capital to be in the business at closing is, mm -hmm. right? So that, that means, hey, I as the buyer, you as the seller are both comfortable that with the value we've stated, um, it being cash-free, debt-free, if we have about this much wor working capital in the business, everybody thinks it's a good deal. If when we close, there's more than that working capital left in the business, the owner generally keeps that difference. If there's less, uh, the owner receives less cash at close to make up for that difference. And it's all a way just to kind of keep connected the value of the headline price, the concept of the cash-free, debt-free, and the working capital mechanism being another lever to make sure that you know the cash-free, debt-free nature of the transaction uh, you know, isn't taken advantage of by either side. Right. And then uh, as we get into negotiations, and, and usually in the letter of intent, we are uh, not necessarily defining a number, but we're looking at, you know, the trailing 12-month average, nine-month average, or six-month average. Mm -hmm. You know, what what's market to today? Yeah. Um, it, it varies. I think the thing we see most often uh, is a 12-month average. Mm -hmm. it, and for if you're a steady state business, you know you obviously probably have some growth in the business. But if it's a, a normal level of growth, um, I think the thing we would generally see is a 12-month average of those balances. Now, if you're in a very high growth type of business where you know you would expect the working capital needs of the business to be accelerating just because sales are growing so fast, you might look at a shorter term, like say the last three months or six months, because that's just going to be more representative of what the business is going to be at closing. Mm -hmm. and w I, how does that then affect, uh, how is working capital affected by a seasonal business? You know, we own uh, you know, a garage door parts ma manufacturer. They're, they're pretty steady state, but in generally in September, October, November, they see a spike in mm -hmm. business specifically because people are getting ready for, for the winter. W we own a company in Arizona that manufactures uh, wrought iron security doors, iron entry doors. And in Arizona, the slow season is in the summer because it's so hot. Um, so I, I, you know, how do seasonal businesses uh, get around the, the, the working capital? Yeah, so there's, there's several ways I think that we've seen people handle those types of businesses. Um, you know, one way is rather than use an average method, you might say, okay, 
we know there are other certain metrics at play. Uh, again, given the uh, anticipated timing of closing, that would say, okay, if I'm gonna close in the summer month, um, I, I know that then generally my working capital is lower. So to set a target at a very high level is probably unfair to the business owner because right. that's not what would normally be there at that time. Yeah. Uh, conversely, if you were to, to close in the busy season to have an abnormally low working capital target and say, well, I'm gonna pay you just because we closed at your busy season, doesn't really make a lot of sense either. So sometimes you can use other metrics like, well, sometimes the working capital is relatively consistent as a percent of sales. You know, so mm -hmm. you can look forward to the forecast sales for the three months leading up to closing and use a formula like that to, to come to a target. It doesn't always have to be a historical average. So there's other things that can be more indicative of the business when it's actually going to close versus an average. And you know, honestly, sometimes or other, uh, if, if you do have a seasonal business, folks will still go with a, an average from time to time and, and just kind of roll the dice on when it closes and right. <laughs> who, who benefits and who doesn't. Right, and it, uh, we had talked about this a little bit or through some, some of your, your other answers, but what, what I wanna focus on for business owners too is ultimately how does working capital affect purchase price mm -hmm. at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, and may, maybe that's helpful to go through an example, yeah. you know, and um, you know, I think we'll have a, have a graphic up on the video, but, you know, assume a company, uh, is now say you're a manufacturing company, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, as we think about the working capital, the primary components are going to be your accounts receivable, your inventory balances, uh, you know, maybe you've got some prepaids, those are usually smaller numbers, mm -hmm. and then you've got accounts payable, and you've got your accrued expenses. So those are the things that are going to make up uh, the components of working capital. So say at the, say we're using an average, and over the 12-month average, the net of all those numbers is $100,000. And we come to, to the closing, and you generally what happens is, you know, you come to the closing date and you make an estimate, mm -hmm. and you know, nobody closes uh, their, their books perfectly on a certain date. So you're usually given time to actually close your books and, and define what the real working capital is. So we'll come back 30, 60, whatever days later. And ultimately we find maybe you had a situation where right before closing you had a really big sale. Mm -hmm. So that would maybe decrease your inventory because you've just shipped a bunch of product, but you're also getting margin on that product so your AR has gone up yep. more. So all else being equal, um, with that one big transaction right before closing, that would increase your working capital, the, your working capital say, to $110,000. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, kind of whatever the purchase price was, that additional $10,000 would go to the seller. Mm -hmm. And you know that, that feels right in some way, Bobby, right? Because, hey, I've just made this big sale, and I'm not going to get any of that benefit, cash, but right. I get some benefit of it through the working capital. Yeah. Now, you know, take the opposite end of the spectrum. You could have a situation where, again, just based on timing of close, maybe the closing date was a day or two before you've done your check run for that, that week or mm -hmm. every other week, however often you do it. And just because of that, your accounts payable are just much higher than they normally are. So in that situation, you may have a close where the working capital is, say, $90,000. and Again, that $10,000 difference would come off the payment to the seller. And again, that feels right because again, at the end of the day, you as the buyer would inherit 
just a higher level of AP right. than yeah. should be there just because of that, that timing. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, so working capital can possibly <laughs> affect, you know, so you, you can be getting more money, Yep. Uh, depending on, on the situation, the agreed upon number, or you could be writing a check uh, because the working capital was not sufficient mm -hmm. enough to continue to operate the business uh, post-transaction. Yep. So, but the, the, there's also something, you know, for the business owners at home is, is there's a working capital collar, mm -hmm. you know, and, and how does that come into to play? Can you define that and tell us how? Sure. It um, that's another, it's another popular mechanism, right? Um, you know, because, again, the examples I gave before are what we call a dollar for dollar yep. type of adjustment where, again, if it was a target of $100,000 and we closed and the actual working capital closing were $100,001, there would be a true up between the parties. Now, most people don't want to go through that. Right. So they may put what we call a collar around it to say, okay, we think there should be $100,000 of working capital. But if there's between 95000 and 105000 economically, that's still the same deal we were thinking of and there's no need to write a check back and forth. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that can help in the ultimate negotiation of the target, again, that it's not tied to a specific number, just because it gives both sides a little bit of a, a flux on either end, because look, uh, you're, you're never going to be able to nail down an exact working capital number at any period of time for any number of reasons. So um, it's something that allows you to, again, have some, have some flux in there, not necessarily have to fight over every last dollar, but still gets everybody economically the deal that they're hoping to get. And uh, one last question as it relates to working capital, it's, it's going back a little bit in terms of, of definition and, and what's included. There's been times where we've seen uh, a seller try to include a potential tax refund into, uh, into working capital or some other assets. You know, that, that what, what are some of the more common ones that you see being placed that you know, certainly don't fit in, in the definition? Yeah, so I think when we think about working capital in terms of this mechanism, um, it should really be just the, the recurring assets and liabilities of the business. Um, there are other places within the, the purchase agreement contract where a, where a seller can make sure that they get paid for things like a, a tax okay. refund, right? If one hasn't come through yet, um, there are other places within the contract where you can make sure that they get the benefit of that. You know, putting that into the working capital mechanism um, isn't always the best thing because it just muddies the water on what it's supposed to be, which is a really a just a, a normalization of the, you know, puts and takes on cash, you know, your current assets and your current liabilities. Um, so that's really the goal. And so I would, I would just urge people to, you know, if you have uh, other items like that, that you just deal with it in, in a way outside of working right. capital. Yeah. So be best, you know, to simplify the working capital calculation, you know, d dumb it down to exactly what it entails. Yep. And then if there is something else, put in other areas of, uh, yeah. of the purchase and sale agreement or uh, find ways to, uh, to get compensated or you know, vice versa right. for that. I'd agree. So is, is there anything else you know, from your experience, may, maybe that we didn't cover from a working capital standpoint that you, you might wanna uh, let business owners know or to think of? You know, I would just say that um, you know, understanding what this is and that it does have it could have an impact um, on your ultimate purchase price is important. So Sometimes give it some material. thought beforehand, yeah. You know, and the goal, everybody's goal should be that this results in no change, yeah. right? You know, nobody wants to make or, or lose any real value because of the working capital adjustment. The whole idea of it is just to have 
a fair transaction that lines up the economics that everybody agreed to. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, you know, hopefully everybody can avoid looking at it as a, you know, somebody's trying to grab a couple extra dollars from me. Ultimately, it's just trying to make sure that the transaction is, is ultimately structured with, with the economics everybody originally wanted. So, but as a business owner, you're still going to have to be cognizant of, you know, what is in that number, mm -hmm. what is in that calculation from an account by account perspective, and, and the fact that it might impact you at the end of the day. And I think one of the places we see this for business owners in a lower middle market company is they may not update their uh, balance sheet accounts every month. Yeah. So you may, for, for very good reason, yeah. yeah, so for very good reason, you may not um, update your payroll accrual or other uh, items other than at year end. Mm -hmm. Because from month to month, it doesn't really make a difference to you. You're paying these things cash. Um, but the changes in those balances over time could have some impact on, on what you're mm -hmm. ultimately agreeing to as the target for working capital. So just be cognizant of those items and um, you know, make sure you're factoring that in when you're ultimately agreeing to what a target is going to be for working capital. And one last question to dovetail off of that then, is in your experience, is it the you know, accruals or what, what's the, been the biggest um, reason for an adjustment? Is it inventory? What, what generally is, is the biggest reason that they, that they wanna make sure that they button up? Yeah. Um, Two things. One is one is accruals, mm -hmm. um, particularly you know maybe for things like a bonus. If uh, you know if you're closing near year end, um, you know you're getting to a time where maybe your employees have earned a bonus but you haven't paid it yet. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's another thing on timing. You know, it's just certain of those liabilities can be uh, heavily weighted towards one period or another. Um, and then the other the other item is inventory. Um, you know if we ultimately come to a spot where the final inventory balance at closing is going to be determined, determined based on a physical inventory, which we would always suggest is, is the route to go. Yeah. You know, as you close a transaction, you should take a physical inventory, particularly for a manufacturing company. It may not be as relevant for a service or other mm -hmm. type business, but for a manufacturing company. Um, so any differences that may exist between your records, yeah. between your books and what's actually in your warehouse, um, identifying that you know really well before you get to that point would be really <laughs> helpful for everybody yeah. so you can uh, properly adjust the the mechanism to to compensate for hey maybe a difference that's been there for a long time but you just never true upon your books yeah which again it's hopefully something that comes up during the diligence process yeah um, and then the last thing that really causes a you know a, a discussion <laughs> we, we'll <laughs> put it that way is um, uh, has to do with deferred revenue. So anytime uh, you as a business are taking cash from your customers upfront and then delivering a product or service at a later time, um, that can become a, a difficult thing to deal with in, in the working capital. Because in reality, when you look at that situation, what you've done is, you know, you've taken a loan from your customer. Yeah. So, you know, as we think about that, ultimately, that's really something that's more often than not thought of as debt, yeah. not working capital. Um, it's, you know, rather than take a loan from the bank, you've had your customer pay you up front to finance something that you still have to deliver. Um, so, you know, 
we've seen it go both ways in the ultimate definition that go into the contracts of the deals we worked on. Um, but it's definitely something to think about in terms of, hey, that cash you've already received, um, is that something that we call debt in the transaction or something that goes into the calculation of working capital? Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Justin. We really appreciate it. I think this is going to be very beneficial for a lot of business owners. This is, a, again, just a, a very salient topic for, for a lot of them as it affects ultimately their, their bottom line. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to watch another episode of Well Capitalized. Please subscribe to our channel below. And if you have any additional questions, please leave them in the comments section. Thank you.